0: rain, red flags, and some strategy nightmares. This week I'm talking all about the Dutch Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Zyra and this week I'm talking about the first race back since summer break and that is of course the Dutch Grand Prix. Formula 1 is back after summer break and they headed out to the Zandvoort circuit in the Netherlands to kick off the second half of the season. And I've got to be honest with you guys, I wasn't quite expecting all the chaos we got over the race weekend. But before I go into what happened on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we did have some contract news coming out before the race weekend started. Haas have confirmed their 2024 lineup and they have re-signed Nico Hülkenberg and Kevin Magnussen. Not something that I'm hugely surprised at, not something I think a lot of people are hugely surprised at to be honest. Gunter Steiner was very vocal about wanting Nico to stay on board, not so vocal about signing Kevin again, but I don't really know who they would have opted to put in that seat if they didn't re-sign Kevin, especially since Gunter does not want rookies in that seat. Kevin said in the press conference, though, that contract negotiations were really, really straightforward. He's worked with both Gene Haas and Gunter Steiner for years now. He's signed on for his seventh season with that team, which is insane. So yes, Haas have officially confirmed their lineup. But let's get into what happened when we finally got to circuit. And oh my gosh, have I missed seeing F1 cars on track practices in general for the Dutch Grand Prix were a little bit weird we had a mix of some dry running and some wet running FP1 we had Robert Schwartzman going for a rookie test with Ferrari so he took over Carlos Sainz's seat Lance Stroll had some engine problems in FP1 which meant that he wasn't running at all Yuki Tsunoda and Lando Norris weren't able to get out for quite a good chunk of FP1 they were in the garage for a fair bit of time and then with about 17-ish minutes left on the clock. Nico Huckenberg ended up crashing. Ferrari, especially on Charles Leclerc's side of the garage, were doing a lot of aero testing themselves. Yuki Tsunoda had aero rakes on. So it was a little bit more of a quiet session, I guess. FP2, I think the biggest story that ended up coming out of that was Oscar's crash and then Daniel's crash. Oscar ended up crashing into one of the barriers in one of the sort of embanked corners. The yellow flag got thrown. I just don't think Daniel Ricciardo was able to slow down enough in time. He said it was either going to be a hit Oscar or hit the wall. He obviously picked to hit the wall, but his hand didn't leave the steering wheel. And he ended up going to hospital to get some x-rays and scans on it. And we found out that he broke a metacarpal. And that basically ruled Daniel Ricciardo out of the Dutch Grand Prix weekend. Absolutely disgusting news for him he's only been back for two races the press conference that he had on Thursday he said he was so excited to be back for him he obviously felt he didn't need the summer because he hadn't been working the full year like the rest of the drivers and the rest of the team but he was excited to come back he'd been working on his fitness and his strength over the summer break he felt the two races that he had before summer break were just a really good way to prep him mentally and physically and now in the second half of the season he was really just raring to go But the broken metacarpal meant that, yeah, he was not going to be able to run. And it looks like he's going to be out for a little while. Daniel's already gone in for surgery. He's come out of it. The same surgeon that operated on Lance Stroll after he had his accident in preseason operated on Daniel Ricciardo. The guy is a MotoGP doctor, so he's worked with a lot of accidents like this and a lot of injuries like this. I think Christian Horner was saying that the aim for Daniel is going to be Singapore to come back, but obviously that's just going to depend on how well he heals and what the doctor's advice is. But I am hoping that he has a really quick and speedy recovery and that he can get back onto track because it is absolutely gutting and I'm sure he must be feeling a little bit heartbroken at what's gone on thankfully though it wasn't anything too serious and that he is okay and Oscar also came out of his accident absolutely fine. Daniel Ricciardo being ruled out of the Dutch Grand Prix though did mean that Red Bull reserve driver and AlphaTauri reserve driver Liam Lawson was stepping into that AlphaTauri seat he was going to be making his Formula One debut and I expect to see him on the grid until Daniel is able to make a comeback. I think that was some of the biggest news that came out of this weekend. I know a lot of Daniel fans are going to be absolutely gutted but I'm pretty sure we're going to see him before the season is over now and hopefully he will be back in full fighting form very very soon. Going into FP3 on Friday though we had Liam Lawson joining the grid. I think Both he and AlphaTauri were very, very lucky that this wasn't one of his Super Formula weekends because he drives out in Japan for Super Formula at the moment. So very lucky that he was on reserve duties this weekend and at the track so they didn't have to worry about him flying out. He wasn't having to adjust to a massive time difference. Wet tyres on though for this session and Kevin Magnussen on a slow lap ended up coming off track into a barrier red flag was thrown. He needed to be recovered. The car needed to come off track and the barrier needed to be repaired. Gundersteiner was not a happy man about this. So much so that he swore live on air. And I know Gundersteiner is normally a man that swears quite a lot anyway, but I feel usually when he knows he's live on Sky, he's quite good at trying to hold back. But he said himself, he is really not happy. It shouldn't have happened on a slow lap. And I do get it Haas are a smaller team it's a lot of work to get the car repaired it's a lot of money especially in a cost cap era to get that sorted out and I don't think Gunda was really expecting it to happen on a slow lap. So after getting both of his drivers to sign a contract extension for 2024 they both crash in a free practice session Nico in FP1 Kevin in FP2 and that probably wasn't what he was expecting to happen. The track conditions were just so bad. We saw a lot of drivers coming off track. Thankfully, no one really crashing into the barriers or anything, but they were having to take some of the escape roads around the circuit because of it. Getting into Quali, though, the track itself was quite damp. It had been raining on and off all day. For F2 and the sprint race, it had been quite bad. But it wasn't looking absolutely awful for Q1. Max Verstappen was really struggling during his first couple of laps in Q1. Couldn't get tire temperature up, was just sliding around and was not happy down the radio. A lot of impeding during Q1 though. Zandvoort has quite a short track and obviously you've got 20 cars on the track for Q1. All of them are fighting to get a fast lap in, especially when the track is damp. You don't want to risk waiting too long and it raining. You're trying to time the cars very well if the track is starting to dry out. And so there was a lot of impeding going on, a lot of investigations. Lewis was one of the drivers that got caught up in a lot of traffic. We had signs being investigated for coming out of the pit lane and nearly crashing into Oscar Piastri. The team really should have told him that Oscar was coming up there because signs himself said, I just couldn't see what was going on. You guys needed to tell me. In all honesty, with the way the track was, with the amount of impeding we were getting and what the track conditions were like, I was very surprised we didn't see any red flags or any incidents in Q1. They were all very, very sensible. Q2, we were sort of getting into that crossover sort of area where the track was starting to dry out a lot more. It was really, I think, a game of trying to figure out who was going to get the timing right more than have you got outright pace in your car. Lewis Hamilton was one of the drivers and Mercedes were one of the teams that did not get that timing right. You needed to leave that last lap until the chequered flag basically fell. He went a lap too early and was probably the biggest surprise in qualifying he got knocked out in Q2, which was gutting. He'd had a really, really strong Friday. FP3 wasn't as strong for him, but the Mercedes itself just looked like it was going to be a really good car, both in quality pace and in race pace. Zanvo looked like it was going to be one of those circuits that was just going to work out for them and because the timing was off it just fell apart for him but while Lewis wasn't able to make it into Q3 what we did get instead was both Williams cards making it in to that final part of Quali. Now, this is the first time since 2017 that the two Williams cars have made it into Q3. It has been that long, guys. This has been the first time this season that Logan Sargent's managed to make it into Q3. And he is also the first American to make it into Q3 since 1993. So a lot for Williams to celebrate in that qualifying session. Logan, however, after he did his first fast lap, ended up spinning and crashing and ruled himself out of the rest of Q3. So he was starting in P10 because, obviously, red flag was flown, car was recovered. He wasn't able to continue. However, still something to really celebrate for Williams, I think. And Alex Alvin did manage to get his car into P4. Logan Sargent wasn't the only crash in Q3 though we also had Charles Leclerc causing a red flag it looked like he had a bit of understeer came off the track into the barriers and it looked like he broke his front suspension because of it. Post quality I think Charles was saying that it's just really hard to predict the car at the moment he can't really tell what it's doing in the corners which is a little bit of a concern I can't lie. That Ferrari, I have heard so much from both of the drivers and them saying that they just can't figure out what's going on with it. Thursday, me and Media Carlos Sainz are saying a really similar thing where there are tracks they think the Ferrari is going to do really well at and they do absolutely awful at. And the tracks they think they're going to do badly at, they seem to score a really good haul of points. So I don't think Ferrari really know what's going on with that car and Carlos has said they don't understand it, the fact that Charles is saying he can't really predict what it's going to do and it's causing these accidents. There is something very wrong going on with the Ferrari right now and it's a little bit concerning that we're at this point in the season and they still haven't figured that out. So I think this is going to end up being something they deal with for the rest of the season and hopefully the 2024 car will be a little bit more predictable for them. The top three coming out of Quali, though were Max Verstappen, Lando Norris and George Russell. And I think that just added insult to injury for Mercedes for not timing that Lewis Hamilton lap right because they could have had two cars very close to the front. I don't even know where to get started on the race, guys. It felt like a bit of a fever dream, if I'm honest with you. It felt like such a long race. 12 laps into that race, and I could not believe that we went over 30 laps in. It was insane. It's been a little while, I feel, since we've had a race that's been that chaotic. And I can't lie to you, it has made me a little bit tired. There was so much to keep up with. I keep a uh, Google Docs of notes for each race weekend, and I couldn't really keep up with everything that was going on track what Crofty was saying trying to look at all the data on the F1 app as well there was just so much to keep up with so I really hope I haven't missed out anything big but I'm gonna try my best to cover everything that went on we got told before the race started literally just 5-10 minutes before the race started rain was gonna come down in 20 to 25 minutes it didn't look like it was gonna be super super heavy but there was gonna be a little bit of rain 20 to 25 minutes into the race, right? So I thought, right, okay, let's get about five laps in. And normally at that point, Max Verstappen has pulled ahead quite nicely. Everyone settles into the race. There's not a whole load going on. I'm going to go and make myself a cuppa and settle back down myself. Five laps in, that was my plan. Nope. We got about halfway around the first lap and we were hearing reports of heavy rain at 2 and 1 and that the rain was going to be quite bad. And it just started to keep coming down. So my cupper at lap 5 definitely went out of the window at that point. But those opening laps were absolutely insane. I don't think anyone was expecting it to come down that hard that quickly. Now, every single driver bar Lewis Hamilton had put on the soft tyre, so even if it was going to start spitting a little bit and for the first little while while it was raining, it wasn't going to be a problem for them. Lewis Hamilton, however, starting in P13, was on a set of medium tyres. Mercedes were obviously hoping just to have him run a little bit longer because they were expecting the rain to come in later. Because it had come in so soon, it just put him at such a disadvantage. Charles ended up going in and having a fairly slow pit stop because the tyres weren't ready and coming out in 17th when he started in 9th place. Max very quickly went in for inters. Lewis got told, you can't come in, you're going to have to brave this one for a little while and just see what happens. And I think what we saw is that everyone who waited just a little bit too long to pit their car suffered badly. They just fell behind the pack. Everyone had made quite a quick decision, bar I think Charles Leclerc at that point, to pit. We're really reaping the benefits of it. Around lap 10, I think Oscar Piastri went in to get some soft tyres on and he just set the timing screen to light and everyone after seeing that was like, okay, yep, we're going to go and pit now. They didn't want to get left behind. The track was drying out. There wasn't any more rain. So by lap 12, I think pretty much everyone had opted to get back onto the soft tyres. The most interesting thing here for me was the fact that Max Verstappen pitted for his soft tyres before Checo Perez. Now, when Max had gone into pit for his industry, he had ended up losing the race lead, which wasn't a problem, let's be honest, in that car. But it did mean that by the time everyone started pitting for soft tyres, he was behind Checo, he was in P2, Checo in P1. And usually what happens with these sort of things is that a team will pit its lead driver in the race. So Checo would normally have pitted first. They normally get the first choice in strategy, right? So unless they say, I really, really want to stay out on these tyres, please don't pit me yet. You can pit the other guy. That lead driver will get pitted first. That wasn't the case here. Max Verstappen got called into the pits and he ended up undercutting Checo Perez by about eight seconds. And by the sounds of it, this wasn't actually a choice that Checo had made. He was questioning down the radio how Max had managed to undercut him. It also didn't sound from the radios that Max had asked to be pitted before Checo. This seemed like a decision that the Red Bull strategy team had made. Now, from what we've heard, they said that they were trying to cover off Alonso, who is coming up on them quite quickly. They wanted to make sure both cars were protected against Alonso. I'm not entirely sure what I believe here, guys. I think we all know very clearly that Max is the lead driver in this team. Helmut Mark was being a bit more vocal about the fact that, yeah, nothing's ever 100% in Formula 1 in regards to Checo's contract running out in 2024 and whether he could be replaced sooner. This was Max's home race. He was going for a record ninth consecutive win to tie himself with Sebastian Vettel. There was a lot more on the line for Max in this race, even though he was obviously leading the championship by a very healthy amount of points, but there were certain records and obviously it being his home race as well that we're on the line compared to Checo winning. Christian and Helmut have basically ruled Checo out of the championship anyway. I think it's very clear to see that he isn't going to be able to mount that challenge to Max in the second half of the season. The points difference is just way too big. So I'm not really sure what to say about what happened there with those pit stops. Even if they'd ended up behind Alonso, I've got to be honest with you, I think that Red Bull would have had more than enough pace to get past the Aston Martin. And there is also the flip side of the coin that, yeah, I think regardless, Max would have overtaken Paris whether he had pitted first or second. I think it's just more of the principle of the thing here, though. By lap 15, though, I genuinely had to do a double take at the timing screens because there was some weird stuff going on. Lando Norris and George Russell were starting in P2 and P3, respectively, had hung on to that in that opening lap. And when I looked at the time screen again, suddenly Lando Norris is in 12th and George Russell was in eighteen. I have no clue what McLaren and Mercedes were doing that had messed up George and Lando's race that much. And I will have a bit more of a chat about this later on in the podcast when we have a little bit of a chat about some of the teams. Lap 16 though, Logan Sargent ended up crashing out of the race and DNFing... That caused a safety car to come out and most of the people who were on a very long soft tyre stint that hadn't opted to change into the Inters picked this time to get into the pits and put on some new tyres. Everyone that was except Alex Alvin, he opted not to pit and Williams have a habit of just leaving Alex Alvin out on a set of tyres and just being like, go do your best. We know you can do this, just keep those tyres on and keep running. So William's strategy with Alex Alban is always such an interesting one to watch. Kevin Magnuson did get shown a black and white flag a little bit later on, though, for moving under braking with Alex Alban when they were battling with each other. It was a dangerous move. There's a reason you're not allowed to move under braking. It's not safe. It can cause people to go into the back of you and just cause incidents. So slightly surprised that he would make a mistake like that. A very interesting strategy from Mercedes, who had gotten Russell to pit and go on to a set of hard tyres during that safety car. They just wanted him to go long on those tyres, try and get him to the end of the race. Obviously, he'd missed out on a podium position. He was quite far back in the field at this point. So yeah, definitely an interesting strategy to go on, though. And all this, guys, and we were only 27 laps in out of 72 laps. And I felt like I had aged by at least five years. There was just so much going on. Too much going on. Up and down the field, there were just pit stop strategy blunders, everything that you could possibly imagine an F1 race having. Zhang wanted to give it all. Lap 42, though, Charles Leclerc ended up retiring from the race. Earlier on in the race, he did have front wing damage that he had to go into the pits to get replaced. It looked like he ended up having a little bit of an incident with Oscar Piastri. What we ended up finding out, though, was that gentle nudge, that little bit of contact, had actually damaged his floor to the point that he just wasn't able to continue. He was running in 15th or 16th at one point. The Alpha Tauri was passing him. Liam Lawson, the rookie in the Alpha Tauri, was passing the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc. As soon as I saw that, I knew there had to be something wrong in the car, and not because of Liam Lawson's driving ability. But we have all seen the Alpha Tauri and it definitely should not have been able to get past the Ferrari that easily. So that did bring a very early end to Charles weekend. It was only on lap 45 that they finally decided to pit Alex Albin who had been on the soft tyres. For 45 laps, this was the first time in the race that he had pitted this is what i mean williams are just insane with their strategy when it comes to alex alban and i can't lie i'm living for it i love seeing them do this to him he just manages to nurse his tires so so well and williams obviously have that faith in him that he'll look after those tires not cause an instant and be able to keep good track position we had another slow stop from sergio perez on lap 61 it was starting to rain we got told it was going to be very, very heavy rain, heavier than what it was at the beginning of the race. And Red Bull did not have the tyres ready. So he had a 10.9 second stationary stop. I don't know what's going on with the pit stops in general this weekend, but they were very, very slow, some of them. We had more slow stops than what you usually would see. And I don't know whether it was just because of the changing conditions, the quick calls that drivers were making, that the team were making. It just meant the pit stop crew were not ready. After Perez went in, though, we just saw a flurry of drivers come in. The rain was coming down harder. Nearly everyone went into the pits to get on those Inters, bar Esteban Ocon, who went onto some wet tyres. The Inters just weren't going to work, though. The rain was so heavy. There was so much standing water. And we ended up seeing Zhou Guan Yu crash into a barrier because of it. Thankfully he was okay but they did red flag the session and I don't know whether that was so much because of barrier repairs and getting the car off track more so than the fact that it just wasn't safe. We saw a lot of cars coming off of the circuit and then having to take escape roads because the amount of water that was on the track and majority of those drivers were on intermediate tires that just weren't clearing the water and giving them enough grip. So we then had a very lengthy red flag. When we finally got to racing again, we had two laps of a safety car going around, Max was sapping in the lead, Perez ended up with a five second time penalty because he was found to be speeding in the pit lane and by the time we got back to racing, Norris and Russell had a little bit of an incident and it ended up causing George Russell to have a puncture and it just put an end to his race. He ended up going into the pits and retiring with only a few laps left. The point before he'd actually had the puncture, I think he was running in 8th place. So he'd managed to work his way back into the points. But yeah, that puncture had just taken him out of the race. He fell so far behind the pack. P-17, the last of the runners and an early end to his race. Max Verstappen did win his home Grand Prix. And along with that, he now holds the record with Sebastian Vettel and Alberto Ascari for the most consecutive wins, and that is at nine. Now, if he wins Monza, he will be the lone holder of that record with 10 consecutive wins, but a historic day for the Red Bull team and for Max Verstappen. Fernando Alonso came in second. It's his first podium in a little while, and I'm sure that is very welcome for both himself And for Aston Martin, because it does mean that Fernando Alonso pulls a little bit further ahead of Lewis Hamilton in the championship. And in third place, because Sergio Perez got that five second time penalty, was Pierre Gasly. Definitely, definitely not who I was expecting to get P3 today. But Alpine had very, very good pace this weekend. Very good pace on the Sunday. He managed to keep his head down, keep it together and yeah, got his first podium with the team and that comes off the back of getting a P3 in the Spa Sprint race just before summer break. So he's having a good run so far. It was definitely an eventful race to say the least. There was a lot going on. Like I said, I could not believe how long the race ended up feeling. 12 laps in and it just felt so so long and then yeah by the time we got to the red flag I could not believe we hadn't gotten to the end of the race yet it just felt very very action-packed one of the most eventful races we've had I think this season to be honest with you most of the races have been quite straightforward even when we've had wet running but I think The Dutch Grand Prix had such a weird mix of weather conditions, of people not being sure how heavy the rain was going to get, what tyre was best to go on, when to cross back over onto the slick tyres. It caused a bit of a mess. And there were certain teams that I think really, really suffered from that. If we're looking over the course of that full weekend, then I would say Ferrari were one of the teams that are probably coming away from the Dutch Grand Prix the worst, and especially Charles Leclerc's side of the garage. The crash in Quali, starting in P9 and then DNFing in the race. It has been a very, very tough weekend for Ferrari. Carlos Sainz did manage to get a good set of points, he ended up in P5, but as a whole, I think Ferrari really are going to have to look at what happened this weekend and what's going on with that car. I think it's going to be one for Charles to forget. There are a lot of questions, I think, in general being asked of Ferrari. They've got their home Grand Prix next weekend in Monza. The Tafosi are going to be out there waiting for them to perform and they cannot risk having a weekend like they've had this week. I would love to be a fly on the wall in some of their engineering meetings, honestly, because I would just love to know what's being discussed at this point, especially with Monza next weekend. It's just an added pressure, I think, when it's your home Grand Prix. And especially for Ferrari, the Tifosi are so, so passionate, so dedicated and loyal to their team. There is just a lot of pressure for both of those drivers and for the team to perform out there. So I guess we'll wait and see what happens. The other team, though, that I just think had a bit of a nightmare in quali and the race were Mercedes. Communication and strategy has just been an issue for them, I think, for a lot of the season, we talk a lot about the issues Ferrari have with their communication, with their strategy. But right now, I don't know how well Mercedes are doing at that either. George, we know, has had issues in quality because of communication issues in terms of not being told about traffic or who's around him or timing his laps. And we saw that again in Q2 on the Saturday this week with Lewis. Not really being told when's the best time to time his laps, about getting him out into some clear air so he's not being caught up in traffic. And then during the race, whatever strategy that they had put George on just completely messed up his race. Interesting choice as well for Lewis to go on the mediums at the start of the race. I did not think that was a good idea personally and it did not pay off. But for George, I know he was not happy down the radio. By about lap 15, 16, a radio message had come through and he was like, what the heck happened? We were forecast at podium and I'm down in 17th, 18th place. So I think there are going to be a lot of questions being asked in that Mercedes engineering room this weekend and over the course of the next week about what happened, what calls were made, why they were made and what didn't work out. It's something they really, really need to tighten themselves up on because they can't rely on having the fastest car in the field anymore. There is no doubt about it. Mercedes have a better car than they have had in the past, what, 18 months? Definitely. But they're still not pulling gaps like Max Verstappen at the front of the field. So they have to have good communication and perfect strategy to maximise that package to maximize what the drivers are getting out of the car because there's only so much George and Lewis can do so it is something I hope they can tighten up on and get better at because it was a disaster for them this weekend I think George Russell definitely could have been in with a podium a better strategy might not have put him further down in the pack with Lando to cause that incident it could have been a very very different story. Lewis's race was a little bit better than George's he ended up in sixth place but he was down in P20 at one point so he drove a very very good race to get to where he did but once again Crawley could have been a very different story and that could have made the race very very different he could have been one of the guys up on the podium. I think those are the teams that are going to have the most questions coming out of this race. Same with McLaren, though, to be honest. I'm really not sure what happened with Lando to have him slide so far back at one point where he was 12th and then not to finish towards the podium. The McLaren had a lot of pace, so for him to finish behind Lewis is very interesting. So, yeah, I don't know whether they also had some strategy blunders. I would assume so, but yet yeah, another team I think that are going to have to look back through their strategy and through their data about what happened this weekend. I think one of the drivers, though, that has probably had a weekend really to forget is Logan Sargent. Obviously, getting into Q3 was absolutely amazing for him, and I'm sure that is going to be something he really cherishes. But the crash in Q3 and a crash during the race, it's not looking good for him right now. This isn't the way he wants his season to go. He's still waiting on a contract to sign with Williams. And I think he just wants to have a steady set of results to show them and to prove to them that he deserves to be in F1. And obviously two crashes back to back day after day isn't really working in his favour. Obviously we also had very difficult conditions to drive in which doesn't help especially when you're a rookie but I think this is going to be a weekend to forget and he's just going to be dusting himself off and picking himself back up ready to head out to Italy and to Monza and hopefully have a better race there. Driver of the day everyone voted for Fernando Alonso who got into P2 obviously had a very very good race lovely to see him back on the podium but I don't think I would have chosen Fernando. For me, I'm going to have to say it's Alex Alburn. Started in P4, finished in P8, but I think he did such a good, solid job on those soft tyres, running them for as long as he did. He could have fallen way, way back in the pack with the stint that he had on those soft tyres, but to get into P8 in the points, I think he had a very, very good race, and it was a very clean race from him as well. So my driver of the day is Alex Alburn, runner-up I'm... I think I'm going to have to say Lewis Hamilton. I think he also had a very good race. P13 was last in the pack at one point and then to make it up to P6. But yes, Alex Albon is my driver of the day. I can't lie though, guys. I really hope is a little bit more tame. What a way to come back after summer break though. Not the race that I was expecting. Not the race I think a lot of us were expecting to see happen. But yeah, what a wild Dutch Grand Prix. Formula One is back next weekend. We have our double header, So we're heading out to Italy to Monza for the Italian Grand Prix. I am so excited for this one. It is the Temple of Speed. It's Ferrari's home race this is gonna be a really really interesting one and it's also my birthday Grand Prix it is the Grand Prix that is closest to my birthday so I am praying and hoping that this is gonna be a good one I will be back next Tuesday at 9am with the Monza Grand Prix review so make sure you come back to check that out Thank you guys so, so much for listening and DL And Make sure you follow me on TikTok and on Instagram at stewards underscore office so you can get even more F1 content from me. And I will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the stewards office.